what I mean? <laughs> but, but just imagine it for a moment and just humour me along with this message. Because there they are and God's speaking to the angels and God says, do you know how many angels there are? No, me neither. But, but, but John tells us in Revelation there were 10,000 times 10,000 and 1,000 thousand. So that's quite a few, isn't it? Uh, Hebrews calls them an innumerable company of angels. There's lots. And here they are, they're, they're in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord picks out Gabriel and says, Gabriel, I've got a job for you to do. Which actually is quite fascinating, come to think of it, isn't it? If there are that many angels, how many angels' names do you know? Oh, come on now. You're an intelligent congregation, you come here every week, you know lots about the Bible, and you have just remembered Michael, haven't you? Who else? Gabriel. That's it! You mean to say the others haven't got names? The only two we know are Michael and Gabriel, which is quite fascinating in itself, isn't it? That's a line of study that we're not going to go along. But I mention it because God chose Gabriel for a reason. His name means the mighty strength of God. Isn't that amazing? Now, if you're a student of the Bible and you love these kind of things, let me tell you, Luke is unusual in his presentation of the Gospel. He does mention names, but very occasionally. Mostly, he talks about a certain man or a certain woman who came from a certain city. But every now and again, he slips a name in. And when he does, it's because that name means something. And here's the first of them that we're going to look at today. His name was Gabriel, the mighty strength of God. Now, God says, I've got a mission for you. You go down to Nazareth in Galilee. Huh. It's the kind of response that I expect from most congregations who've ever heard the story before. Nothing. <laughs> I, I've, I've only ever been to Chippenham once before. This is my first visit to the church here. Mostly I go round Chippenham. But this time, I have actually come to it. I don't know anything at all about this place, not one thing. But let me tell you what I know about Galilee. We nearly read it this morning, almost. I was willing you to start at verse 1. Isaiah 9 says that there was a, a, a message, a light going out to Galilee of the nations. Of the nations? It wasn't Galilee part of Israel. Well, scarcely. It was on the fringes. It was on the borders. It was on the outskirts. You would not really think you were in Israel proper if you were in Galilee. Actually, it wasn't very famous. The, the Jews knew, according to John 7.52, they knew that no prophet had arisen from Galilee. Not Galilee. And Galilee was not only not very important, Nazareth in Galilee was less important than the rest of Galilee. So much so that the theologian amongst the disciples, Nathaniel, he says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Imagine having a reputation like that. Now, I come from Cardiff. There is, you won't believe it, but there is a district of Cardiff called Splot. <laughs> you have probably already worked out it's not where the rich and famous live. 
Nazareth was the splot of Galilee. It was a poor township. It was the kind of place where you would not be proud to say, that's where I was born. And God sent to Nazareth in Galilee the angel called Gabriel, the mighty power of God, came into a poor township in a despised region. Can you imagine that? Gabriel must have said, God, why me? Can't you choose one of those unnamed company to go down there and do this particular job? You know what I love about that? When God came into our world, he didn't come to the rich and famous. Hallelujah. He came to the poor and the ordinary. He came to the despised, which means that there is hope for me. Hallelujah, there's hope for me. Because I'm not amongst the rich and famous. Most people have never heard my name till you saw it up there. Isn't that right? But I praise the Lord that he came for folks like me and to poor territories such as I was brought up in. And not only so, but he came at the sixth month. Did you notice that at the beginning? Now, I know it's the sixth month after Elizabeth conceived. Luke puts together two remarkable stories. Story number one is about a birth that occurred to a woman who couldn't have a baby. Isn't that remarkable? I notice there are a few ladies around here. Pardon me saying this, ladies. But I know very well that there are a few ladies in this congregation who know very well they couldn't have a child anymore. You might have had them in the past, but now those days are over. It's the same with my wife, who apologises, by the way, for not being here. But I know that you can't have a baby. Here was a woman who couldn't have a baby. But there are some young ladies here too, let me tell you. Here was a young lady who shouldn't have had a baby, but yet did. And God puts those two stories right alongside each other so that we begin to see the wonder of God working in remarkable and wonderful and brilliant ways amongst his people. It was the sixth month, which reminds me that God's planning is always exactly spot on right. It was, as Galatians says, in the fullness of of time, right exactly at the precise moment that God came into this world. Not a second too late, not a moment too early. And I'm encouraged by that too, because I want to tell you sometimes I want to hurry God up. Do you want to do that? I want him to go a bit faster. And sometimes, let me tell you, when he speaks into my heart and life about something I ought to do, I want him to go a bit slower. (laughs) Hold on a minute, Lord. There's a couple of things that need to happen before this starts. But his timing, you can rely on it absolutely, is always exactly precisely right. He came at the sixth month and he came to Nazareth. When he came to Nazareth, it's interesting that the person that he actually came to, sorry, that's going too fast, let me go back a moment. The person that he actually came to was a very ordinary lady. It it says this, he came to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. We learn a few things about Mary. We we learn, first of all, that she was a virgin, which meant she'd never had any children. In fact, it meant even more than that. It meant that she had never, ever had sexual contact with any man. Really important, that, in this particular story. Because we're going to learn this, that the one who came to Mary's womb could not ever, under any circumstances, have come through man's seed as John puts it at the beginning of his gospel. 
absolutely impossible for him to have come of human will or human descent. It could not happen, for Mary was a virgin. There's a second thing that's said about her. Her name was Mary. Do you know what Mary means? It means exalted. Mary's going to shout that in the Magnificat. He has lifted up the proud. He's the one, the God, who has taken the humble and raised them, exalted them to the highest state. I don't think her parents thought about that when they named her Mary. But come to think of it, I don't even know who her parents are. Do you? I know a little bit about her intended. His name was Joseph. And see, he's a descendant of David. We'll talk a little about him tonight. But, but, but this particular girl, we know nothing at all about her ancestry. Not one thing. You don't know anything about mine either, do you? You have no idea where I'm from. You would be shocked if you knew that Brind was a Wiltshire name, wouldn't you? And that was my reason for coming to Chippenham the last time. was to go along just the road to Cocklebury Road and just to find out a bit more about those Brins who come from Ogbourne originally. Ogbourne St George on the Marlborough Road, that's where we hail from. Uh, but I didn't know that. I know a little bit about it now. But we know nothing whatever about Mary. Not a thing. Almost deliberately. The Spirit of God doesn't tell us anything other than the fact that she was a virgin who lived there, whose intended happened to be a descendant of David, which of course is very important to the story. But she's an unknown girl from a despised town. She's just an ordinary nobody. I could ask you to put your hands up if you're an ordinary nobody. And my guess is you don't put hands up in this church. That's okay. I understand those things. But my guess is that most of your hands would go up. We're ordinary nobodies, aren't we? And praise God, he's come right down in the middle of people like that. Isn't that astounding? Isn't it? I'm talking God now, folks. I'm not talking about anybody. I'm talking God came right down into the middle of people who were worth nothing, who were not important, who were not stars or famous, but just ordinary Joes. And he came right down into the middle of that. That's the amazement of Christmas. Well, of course, the angel started speaking. I don't know what Mary could quite have made of his particular statement. We've read it already. Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Amazing, isn't it? I love this, that that verse is bookended by the idea of grace. Greetings, you who are highly favoured. That really is our word, grace. You have found favour or grace with God. Do you, know why, do you know why God chose Mary? You ever pondered that? Can I tell you why he did? Because he did. It was his grace. It wasn't because she was the only virgin around, nor even that she was the only one in Nazareth. Who knows exactly how many there might have been there. But I can tell you this, he chose Mary because he chose her. It was his grace. And I want to tell you that anything you are and anything that I am is nothing but nothing, not one single thing to do with me. It's all to do with him. It's his amazing, glorious, wonderful grace poured into my life that makes me anything at all. I stand in his presence 
as a man filled with his grace. And I'm here because of him. And it is absolutely nothing. Anything I can do and anything I can say and anything I can be is not because of who I am. It's because of what he has done in this pathetic life of mine. He's lifted me up and made me into the person I am. It was Mary's grace poured into her life that made her the person who she really was. Not only did he say to her uh, that you are highly favoured, but he also says the Lord is with you. Yep, typical response too. Don't, don't you find that amazing? Doesn't that make you tingle inside? The Lord, the Lord, the Jehovah of the Old Testament, the God who is, who was, and who is to come, the almighty God, the God who fills eternity, is with you, Mary. What, me, little Mary? The wonder of God's presence. It's the psalmist who bursts into song, isn't it, with these words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll not fear evil, for you are with me. I praise God for his rod and staff that are always there, no matter where I am. You are with me. And not only so he spoke peace to her, well, you would be troubled, wouldn't you, if an angel turned up on your doorstep? I mean, you really would. I don't know what the angel looked like. In Luke, angels tend to be men in shining clothes. That's how Luke describes them. So whether he stood there in shining clothes or not, I don't know. But whatever, Mary was troubled about it. You think, what is happening here? The angel said, don't be afraid. You know, he came to bring his peace into our lives, didn't he? I want to speak to you this morning. If you're troubled, let me tell you, there's a saviour who wants to pour peace into your life. That's why he came into the world in the first place. For to us is born a saviour. Christ the Lord is what the angel said. And this is what they said. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favour, same word, grace, rests. The God of great peace came into our world at that moment. The troubles of our world are solvable with one word, Jesus. If only this world would turn to Jesus, there would be no more fighting, no more wars, no more troubles, for he's the prince of peace. And he says to her, don't be afraid, because the Lord is with you. Then he gave her this amazing mission. He, he said to her, you'll be with child. You'll have a son. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the Most High. He'll have the throne of his father, David. That's quite a bit, really, isn't it? I mean, for Mary, I, I, I want to imagine now, you, you're, the, you're there on the doorstep, and this man comes along to you and says to you, I, I mean, ladies, ladies of childbearing age, or even not of childbearing age, because it didn't matter in Luke 1. You can be as old as Elizabeth or as young as Mary and still have a child. Isn't that amazing? And he says to her, this is what you're going to do. You, you, you're going to have a son. Absolutely guaranteed in a day when, when death in childbirth was common and where stillborns happened almost as regularly as real births, he said, you are going to have a son, Mary. A son, of course, would be the one who would be the heir. Ah, but what an heir. See what the Lord says about him. The first thing he says about him is he will be great. Back in the, um, in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, those who... Um, who have children, teenage, who were teenagers during that time as I had, 
Yeah, my children aren't teenagers anymore, but there we are. Um, they've got teenagers of their own. That's <laughs> how life goes on, doesn't it? Back in those days, um, everything around was mega. Uh, and especially if you happen to live where, near where I do, just up the Welsh Valleys, everything would be mega. Oh, it's mega. Uh, and that was the buzzword that went around. This actually is our word mega. It's the Greek word is mega. He will be mega. I think it's better than great, don't you? It just comes across. This child you're going to have, little Mary, tucked away there in oblivion, in a place that nobody really thought was important. And the message comes, this son's going to be mega, he's going to be great. Isn't that amazing to have a saviour who's mega, isn't it? Isn't it just awesome to have a saviour like that? He will be great. Not only so, but he'll be called the son of the highest. I, I, I I have three sons. I have a daughter as well, but I have three sons. I want to tell you, my three sons are the best. Actually, that's impossible, isn't it? You can't have three best, can you? But I have. My three sons are the best, but I want to tell you, they're not the highest. I mean, I think my sons are are amazing. But they're not the son of the highest. For this one, who's going to be born to little slip of a girl... No doubt in her late teens or early twenties at the very most. Was going to be the one who would bring into the world the son of the highest. I love that term, don't you? There's a whole series of sermons on the most high. And he was the son of the most high. See how wonderful Christmas is? See, the wonder of that, we have a saviour who's the greatest, but he's the son of the most high. You cannot go higher than the most high. Absolutely impossible. Not only so, but he's the heir to the throne of eternity. This is what he says, he'll sit on the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob, I love that term. He'll sit on the throne of his father David. The kingdom that God promised to David as an everlasting kingdom. He will be the one who rules over the house of Jacob. Jacob, of course, was the twisting son, the one who deceived. I love that wonder that God brings us deceivers, those of us who who go wayward, those of us who are a bit of a twisters. He he brings us back to himself and reigns in our hearts and lives. That's what this one's going to do. And it says this of his kingdom, there will never be an end. It will go on for eternity. He's the heir. Sure, he's the heir, but he's not Joseph's heir. He's God's heir, who he has appointed heir of all things, Hebrews 1, 2 by whom also he made the world. He's the heir. He's the inheritor. And the wonder is that Romans 8 tells me that we are joint heirs, co-heirs. I prefer the word co-heirs because it kind of means that I have exactly the same as he gets in terms of inheritance, doesn't it? That we too inherit everything that he has. And that's the saviour who was coming into the world. Can you believe a story like that? I mean, it's a more unbelievable story than that power pack starting cars, isn't it? It's a much more unbelievable story than that. An amazing, unbelievable message that the one who was coming would be great, would be the son of the Most High, and would sit on the throne of David. No wonder Mary asked the question that she asked. (laughs) Would you ask a question like that? Oh, come on. (laughs) 
I'll say, God, I've asked God questions like this before, haven't you? Lord, that's impossible. Me, do that? You want me to go there? Unbelievable message. How can this be? God loves us asking questions. Did you know that? I mean, he, he invites questions all the time. Remember what Jesus did when he, when he was amongst people. He was always asking them questions. So, um, you know that verse in Psalm 110, and he says, he says well, well, the Lord says to my Lord, well, well if he's David's Lord, how can he be his, how can he be his son as well? What, this is just too confusing. Jesus asks questions all the time. So he's delighted when we start asking him questions, genuine questions. How can this be? Well, how could it be? This is what he says. The angel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One will be called the Son of God. Have you noticed something? There are three amazing things that happened at that moment. The first is that the Holy Spirit would come upon her. The presence of the Holy Spirit. And you and I have the Holy Spirit living within us, day by day, constantly. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This child who will be born will not be the product of Mary plus Holy Spirit. It will be entirely conceived by the Holy Spirit. But, But look, how will this be? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You almost see Mary's eyes going wide as saucers when she heard those words. You know the tragedy? We've heard too many times that the moment we trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live within us, and we've forgotten the wonder of it, haven't we? Isn't that awesome? I look at my little life sometimes as I stand in front of my mirror, and I think to myself, how in the world, God, would you ever want to come and live with me? But praise his name, he is that kind of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Not only so, but the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I love that idea of overshadowing. The power, the dynamic power of the Holy, of God himself will overshadow you. And it wasn't going to be an easy path for Mary. She was going to be maligned and people were going to say awful things about her and nobody was really going to believe that message. We'll talk about that more tonight. But let me tell you this, the power of the Holy, of God himself came to overshadow her and to protect her from everything else there might be outside. And here's the third thing that happened. The Holy One who would be born of her would be called the Son of God. You've noticed it, have you? At that moment, Trinity collided in the womb of Mary. Oh, what a thought. I used to teach biology, so I know this. A womb's about that big. Imagine the Trinity colliding at that moment, meeting at that second in the womb of just a little unknown girl from a despised area and the most despised village within that area. Isn't that awesome? Let me tell you, we have a great God who came to see us, not to visit us, but came to live with us. If I had been God, it would have been different, let me tell you. 
Would you allow your son to have come into the world in that kind of way? If you are the great eternal God, wouldn't you have had the streets lined with people? Wouldn't you have had bunting and flags out everywhere? Wouldn't you have an army bringing him in? Wouldn't he have trod the streets of either Rome or Jerusalem? Would you not have had a fanfare before saying, here is the one who's coming? And I would have sent him in as a fully grown man. God's got plenty of precedent for doing that because that's how he got Adam here in the first place, wasn't it? But he didn't. He came to live in us and through us and with us and to be just like us. All oh, the wonder of incarnation. Well, how do you respond to that? Well, this is how Mary responded. And those amazing words, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. Of course, it's easy for us to say, well, that's a great thing, isn't it? I mean, she's going to be the one who carries God into this world. God's going to be in a body in her body. Surely that's an amazing privilege. Well, it is if it happens. But what are the people outside going to say? Of course, you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not concerned what other people think of me, aren't you? We live in a world where image is everything. And most of us are concerned what other people think about us, which often fuels our particular actions. It was an amazing statement, a mind-blowing statement, when she says, I'm the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. Now, you might just be thinking to yourself, well, it's okay for Mary, I mean... Holy Spirit came to live within her and the power of the Almighty overshadowed her and the one who was born of her was the Son of God. But we don't have that amazing privilege, don't we? So what do you make of Paul's prayer then in Ephesians? There it is, I pray that out of his glorious riches. <laughs> I was thinking about that as I was coming along this morning, the wonder of God's glorious riches. There are some folks, some Christian folks, who want God to make them wealthy. Can I tell you something? God's made me wealthy. Yeah, I can see some troubled looks around there. He's given me the glorious riches that I have in Christ. And can I tell you something? If he had given me money, which he hasn't, you're okay about it now, aren't you? If he, if, if he had given me money, which he hasn't given me, can I tell you how long my money would have lasted? Well, it lasted till, I, till it ran out or, or, or until I died and passed it on to somebody else, wouldn't it? Can I tell you how long the glorious riches of Christ in me are going to last? Can I tell you? Forever. They're mine eternally. I would not want a God to give me earthly riches at the expense of his heavenly riches, would you? I want something that lasts. If he's an eternal God, I want eternal riches. That's what he says. Out of his glorious riches, he will strengthen you with power through his spirit, for through his spirit in your inner being, so you know the presence of the spirit within you. Then he says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. I love that word dwell, of course. It's better than live to me. It means sort of more permanent. He'll dwell within you. Christ dwelling in you. The spirit strengthening you. Christ dwelling within you. The bit in between is about his love being, you know, wide, vast, tall, strong, whichever dimension you want to talk about, that you may be filled to the full measure of God. Paul says he's done that for us. He has given to us the full power of Trinity so that we can go out into this world and do something amazing for him. 
which is the next verse, of course, in Ephesians that says this to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, power of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that connects within us. Now see what he says, according to his power that is at work in us. You ever wondered at that? Do you think God can't do it without you? I know this, God can do it better without me, but loves to work in me and to work through me, just as he did in the body of that tiny woman in despised Nazareth. What a story. You couldn't have made it up. You would never have dreamt it, would you? If you were writing a book about God coming into this world, this would never feature anywhere near it. That's how I know it's true. It's an amazing, wonderful mystery. And this year, as we celebrate the wonder of a saviour who came into the world, may God just thrill our hearts with Jesus, warm our affection towards him, and give us the ability to say, God, whatever you're calling me to do now at this very moment, I am the Lord's servant. Use me however you choose for your glory. Let's pray together. Amazing story, Lord. It's, it's, it's almost unbelievable. But we come with a new freshness this morning and stand in the shoes with Mary and say, Lord, we're amazed at what you have done in these lives of ours. And we ask you to take up lives that owe everything to you and use us for your glory alone, as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.